aren't those guys a hoot? I always enjoy them so much. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to talk. We want to talk about families. We want to talk about love. We want to talk about limits. We want to talk about our families because a family's love runs deep, doesn't it? It really does. How many of you remember the story of uh, Aaron Ralston? Remember the story of Aaron Ralston? Maybe some of you bought the book. He uh, was that mountain climber that uh, got trapped in a crevice. Uh, he went mountain climbing alone, which is not a good thing to do, kind of like scuba diving alone. It's not a good thing to do. And uh, he fell, and his arm got pinned in between two rocks, and he was there for six days without eating or drinking anything. And, um, and he was, like, you know, ready just to uh, kind of give it up. And then what did he decide to do? You know the story? He broke his arm, took out his pocket knife, and he literally cut off his arm. And then he had to walk out miles. And uh, he said the driving force that kept him alive was his love for his family. He writes in his book that when he was tempted just to give it up and just die, he thought how devastated his father would be and how devastated his mother would be and how devastated his sister would be. He said his love for his family gave him the will to live and gave him the will to cut off his own arm. Family feelings run deep, don't they? Do you remember when uh, Jesus was on the cross and he was literally dying for the sins of the world? The sins of the world was placed upon him. He was dying for us in the immense of the excruciating pain of the crucifixion and dying for our sins, he, he turned to John, one of his disciples. And John records his words. In John chapter 19, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the, 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 uh, buh, 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 beside the disciple he loved. Who's he talking about? He's talking about John. So there's his mother standing there beside John, he said to her, he said to his mother, dear mom, here is your son. He's not referring to himself. And then he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Wow. Jesus asked his friend, hey, in the midst of dying for the world's sin, he said, hey, will you please take care of, will you please look after my mother? Family feelings run deep, don't they? And family feelings run deep in both directions. By that I mean when family unit runs well, when there's love and affection and respect and, and joy, the marriage, the family are about as good as it gets this side of heaven. Some of my greatest memories, greatest experience goes back to time being with family. It's about as good as it gets this side of heaven. But when the family mal malfunctions, malfunctions and uh, anger and abuse, hostility and shame are, are being expressed, Damage is done. Young lives and human souls are immeasurably marked for the rest of their life. Sometimes they'll deal with the pain for the rest of their lives. 
family feelings run deep. And they run deep in both directions. And it's my prayer this morning that you will grab that message outline, that you will really engage, be it if you're a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt, and that you will really go to work right now on what is it like to be a a godly, God-honoring parent. It's my desire to to help you, to help your family, to go in the right direction, to, to get to yes in your home to have a home of love and joy and laughter and peace and harmony. And that doesn't mean your home is perfect because there's always going to be the other stuff. But what marks your home is a sense of yes. It's a sense of peace. It's a sense of joy. So how do we get our homes to yes? I think first we need to really understand the deep needs that our children have. Christian psychologist Dan Allender who grew up right down there in in Boca, south of here. He says every child, and they have demonstrated that every child grows up asking themselves two core questions. And he says they ask themselves these two core questions every day of their lives. The first core question is this, am I loved? Am I loved? The second core question is this, can I do anything I want? Can I get away with murder? Every day of their life, in many different ways, they ask that, those two core questions. Am I love, and can I do what I want to do? How do we get to yes in our homes? Number one, every child needs to know that they are irrationally loved. Can you say those two words with me? Irrationally loved. We all need to know that we're loved. We all want to feel that we're loved that we're special, that we matter, that we're important to somebody. Deep down, we all have this great need to know that we're loved. And I was so blessed to grow up in a home like that. I was so blessed to grow up with parents that both loved me and I felt loved. And every child is born kind of with this hole inside of them that that we as parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts, we need to fill it up. And we need to fill it up with love, with with daddy's love and mother's love. 1 John 3.18 says this. John's talking. He says, dear children, he's not referring to kids. He's referring to those who came to faith as a result of, of his life and his ministry. He refers to them as his spiritual children. So he says, you know, dear spiritual children, don't just talk about love. Put your love into action. I love this. Then it will truly be love. You see, love is something far more than talk. Love is something far more than just feelings. Love is something we choose to do. And we show our love by our affection, by our attention, by our affirmation. Every child needs to grow up feeling cherished, feeling celebrated, feeling treasured. Kids want to be irrationally loved. I want, you want, to be irrationally loved. 1 John 4, 7 says, Practice loving each other, for love comes from God. 
Again, the idea John's trying to tell us here is that love is something we choose to do. You learn to love, and you learn to love by practicing it, by choosing to do it every day of your life. And then this verse, I think, says something very, very important about love. Where does love come from according to this verse? It comes from where? It comes from God. See, God needs to fill us up with his love so then that we can love others. And as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we need to ask God for his love. We need to experience his love. And he gives us the capacity to love and to love and to love and to love those kids who sometimes are so difficult to love. Every child needs to know that they are irrationally loved. Number two, if we want to get to yes in our homes, every child needs to know that there are, what's the word? Limits to live by. And that kind of answers the second question. At the core of every child is that question, can I do anything I want? And they need to learn that there are rules there are guidelines, there are riverbanks, there's laws. And if you play by those rules, you'll live a better life. Every child needs to learn the word no. Every child needs to learn the word no, no, no. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like the word no. My mom tells a story when I was a little guy. I used to love to play with the phone when I was just like one or two years of age. And, you know, I think I was like about two. And I'd reach over and grab the phone and she would say no, you know. And she'd take my hand and put the phone back down. And then I'd look at her and I'd grab the phone again. And then she would hit my hand and say no. And then I'd look at her and I would grab the phone again. And she would spank my hand and say, no, Raymond, no. And I didn't like the word no. She said, this hand was so sore that I literally would grab my hand with this hand and grab this hand and put it on the phone. Because I don't like the word no. And the truth is, you don't like the word no either. We want to do what we want. I don't know about you, but I love freedom. And I love my freedom. And maybe I shouldn't say this publicly. I got a motorcycle with my brother, Jeff, and I love riding that motorcycle. Chris gives me a hard time every time. I love riding that motorcycle without a helmet. Now, it's not illegal to ride without a helmet, but I just like that freedom, you know? I don't like someone telling me what to do. Do you? Anybody here love someone telling you what to do? We're all alike, you know? One of the greatest founders, pastors, teachers of the church, he calls it original sin. That's what it is. It's what we call our sin nature. Have you noticed that there's something inside of you, there's this bent inside of you that, that wants your freedom, that wants your way? It's called our sin nature. And there's something inside that, that cute little baby and I love babies. I was the oldest of 17 grandkids, and I was always around kids. Babies said, I love babies. But that little guy, and I had three of my own, that little guy, that little gal, they're saying all the time, it's all about me. Your life needs to center around me. Whack, 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 you know? I mean, you know, it's, it's all about my wants and my desires and my needs. And I should be not only the focus of your life, I should be your entire life. Now, I've just described a, a baby, but I've also described a, a preschooler and a toddler, and I've also just described a teenager, right? 
I mean, they think that your, their, your world ought to rotate around them and you should give them and buy them whatever they want. Right? Proverbs 22.5. This is what the Bible says. A youngster's heart is filled with what's the word? Foolishness. Man, when I was young, I got to say that my heart was just full of energy and just full of mischievousness and was just full of foolishness. I get embarrassed by the stories they heard back over at First Baptist Church in Lake Park, Florida. You know, I was just full of foolishness. How many of you were full of foolishness? I knew some of you. Yeah, thank you. I want to make sure that ham was up, Butchie. Um, <laughs> foolishness, you know. But what's he go on and say? But discipline does what? We don't like that last part. Discipline will drive it away. You see, as parents, we got this God-given responsibility to discipline our children, to every day answer that question that they can't do everything and anything they want to do. We have this God-given responsibility to set some limits, some boundaries, some guardrails. And if we don't uh, live by those limits and guardrails, there's going to be consequences. And then we have the responsibility to bring about those consequences. And if we don't do that as a parent, we are setting ourselves up for a boatload of pain. And we're setting our children up for a boatload of trouble. CBS News, not even just the Bible, CBS News reported this, and I, I, I got it in a quote here so you can see it for yourself. Many studies have shown that kids who have limits feel more secure, they do better academically, socially, and have better self-esteem. Maybe you heard about the study they did on school playgrounds. They took kids and they went around different school systems and they used to have the playground on the middle of a big play yard. And when they didn't have a fence around the playground, you know, a big fence way out there, they found that the kids would always just stay right in the middle on the playground equipment. But when they put a fence around the playground, the kids would explore. They felt more secure. They felt protected. They'd be willing to walk out and play different things from being on just the playground equipment. And so it is in life. Limits rules, guideline, truly gives us greater freedom. Kind of like an oxymoron, but it's true. Newsweek magazine cover uh, story said, how to say no to your kids, setting limits in an age of excess. And that's our day today, huh? Age of excess. And let's just kind of cut to the chase this morning. I think today it's kind of safe to say that most of us parents, we're doing a great job today on the side of love. We're pouring out great amount of massive love on our kids. We, we've learned, we've read, we've been taught. Words of encouragement, physical touch, affection, affirmation on our kids. But we struggle today, major league, when it comes to the limit side of parenting we find it increasingly harder to say the words no and to follow through with our no. We feel like we're kind of like losing control. We're becoming a pushover when it comes to disciplining our kids. And we're not alone. According to Parent Magazine, 88% of moms feel that parents today have lost control of their kids. Their words were, my kids are getting away with highway, highway robbery. 
I find these surveys always so interesting. You know, you ask them, are your kids controlled? Yeah, my kids are fine, but it's the other ladies' kids that are getting away with highway robbery. And the truth is, our kids are getting away with highway robbery. It's like the pendulum has shifted the other way, has shifted from too much limits and not enough love to too much love and not enough limits. And today in our culture, you know, we discipline the dog more than we do our own kids. You know, we tie up the dog at night and we let our kids run wild. You know, times have changed. I mean, they've changed so radically in just a generation. Now, I believe my parents' generation, they loved us just as much as we love, um, you know, our kids. Um, had a computer malfunction. I fixed it there. Um, but our, my parents' generation, I think we'd say, and many of you are of my parents' generation, you would say that that generation really had a hard time expressing their feelings, expressing their love, there weren't a lot of books out there on the importance of a dad bonding with his son and, and bonding with his daughter and, and saying the words, I love you. There wasn't a Dr. Phil back then. There wasn't Oprah, you know. And uh, now I'm not trying to make excuses for them. They had their Bibles, and the Bible's pretty clear. But most parents kind of felt, felt love, but they just didn't get around to expressing it very often. They didn't express a lot of their emotions and feelings like we do today. I remember my father, you know, I don't ever remember my dad ever crying in front of me. I remember my mother one time crying. I always felt loved. I always felt careful. I can remember my father about the age of five or so. I don't ever remember him hugging me and kissing me and saying those words, I love you. Now, I always felt loved. I always knew that I was loved. And I was the oldest of three, and I remember I used to love watching home movies because I was first, and they had all these home movies of me com compared to my brothers and sister, you know. And my dad, all the time, he was hugging on me and kissing me and hugging on me and kissing me. And I thought, man, he really loved me. But they didn't express it that much. I'll never forget when I was about 11 years old, I was on the uh, Little League baseball team. My dad was the coach, and... And uh, they had a coaches meeting that night. That's the last Ford, by the way, we ever owned. I want you to know that. Um, and um, that 1966 Ford GTA, great car. But a Ford is not going to win the Daytona 500 today, by the way. Anyways, we're getting off the subject a little bit here. But I, I remember he came home and they found out who were going to make the all-star team. And I wanted to know if I made the all-star team and my dad wouldn't tell me he was, you know, he lived by the rules. I wasn't going to get, you know, fair advantage being, a, you know, coach's son. I had to wait like everybody else, all the other players to find out who makes all-stars. That's the kind of dad he was, a good dad. And uh, we kind of had to go by the rules. And, and I remember wanting to know and he said, I'm not going to tell you, son, go to bed. And so I went to bed. But I wasn't real good with the limit side of love, you know. So I snuck back out and I sat there by their door, you know, as they went to bed and they were talking about it. Uh, who made the team, and I still believe to this day, my, I heard my dad, he was crying. He was upset because I didn't make the team. I was an alternate. And I remember sitting there thinking, come on, Dad, suck it up. I mean, be a man. It's not that big of a deal, Dad. I didn't make the team. It's all right. It's their loss, you know. It's a cocky little kid. Um, you know. I grew up, I was very blessed to feel irrationally loved by my mom and my dad. 
But the love side, the affection side, it was hard for my parents' generation. But they had that limit side down. <laughs> right? Didn't they? I mean, they really had the rules side down. They had consequences down. I mean, you came home in my home past curfew, you were in trouble. I remember my sister, she got locked out of the house. She had to sleep in the car because she came in after curfew. I mean, there were rules, there were consequences, they enforced the consequences. We had chores, we had responsibilities, it wasn't a free ride. I mean, we had tasks to do, and when we did a task, man, it got inspected. And my dad did quality control at Pratt & Whitney. I mean, it was inspected, and I learned at a young age, when you do a job, you do it. I've been telling my son that. He's finally getting it down. You know, you do a job, you do it right the first time, or you don't do it at all, right? I heard that all my life. Um, let's don't go there. I'm going to have to have some catharsis here. Um, but, uh, but they followed through. And when I was two, you know, I just didn't get put in my room for 10 minutes of play for time out. I was grounded, you know. I may be exaggerating a little bit now. But, uh, but my parents, they, they loved me and they disciplined me. Now, some parents in my parents' generation... I mean, let me be honest, I really believe that they went to real extremes on the limit side, heavy-handed discipline, verbal abuse, out-of-control anger and shame. They were rigid. They were controlling. And a lot of kids in my generation grew up love-starved and rule-strict. Love-starved and rule-strict. And what happens when you grow up in a generation of being love-starved and rule-strict? You know what you get? You get the 60s. You get Woodstock. That's what you get. Because what's Woodstock? It's an absolute rebellion against the rules, and people are starving for love. You know, make love with anything. Just love, love, love. Love-starved and rule-strict. And I think we can say the pendulum has kind of shifted. It's kind of shifted over here to the other extreme where we shower on our kids affection and love and approval. We knock ourselves out, you know, providing unlimited numbers of educational sports opportunities, material opportunities for our kids. Today, you know, birthday parties turn into Broadway productions. Celebrating grammar school graduations with floats and marching bands. Two-year-old birthday Parents spend 40 grand on their two-year-old. He'll never even slightly remember the event. $40,000. Sweet 16 birthday parties costing parents $200,000. Some of you kids are really disappointed that you came to church today. You're thinking, oh, no, man, I'm going to lose out, you know. But the kids today, you talk with them. They're so self-absorbed. It's all about them. And when it comes to setting limits and telling our kids no, when it comes to enforcing character expectations and, and laying out clear rules around the house and chores and responsibilities that need to be done, record number of parents are losing courage and we're caving in. Some of us are hoping that if we can just pour on record amounts of love that somehow it will make up for our failures to set and enforce the rules. Bill Heibel says, that is just a precursor for disaster. I was with Bill with about 60, 80 other pastors this week for two days. 
And sidebar, man, I'm telling you, you need to plan your summer vacation around the summit this year in August. It's going to be incredible. But you know, the Bible teaches no matter how much love a child receives, he or she desperately needs discipline, desperately needs limits. A youngster's heart is filled with, what's the word? Foolishness, but discipline will drive it away. That's what God says. God says this in Proverbs 23, 13. Don't fail to correct your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from, what's the word? Death. Discipline will save them from self-absorption, from self-destruction. Along with irrational love must come clearly defined, courageously enforced, biblical discipline, biblical limits. So let's be honest this morning, parents. Let's kind of cut to the chase. Why are we losing courage? Why are we caving in on the limit side? What's going on as a parent? Why are we becoming more relaxed and loose? I mean, the stakes here are high. We're talking about our kids' future. Two reasons clearly rise to the top by the experts. Why we're caving in on setting the limit side in our parenting. Number one is this, exhaustion. Yeah, we can all just moan, yeah? Mm. And maybe you can relate to the true story of Jenny and Ralph. Jenny worked full-time. Ralph worked full-time. Ralph kind of grew up in a family which, you know, dad worked, mom didn't. And so Ralph doesn't do much around the house. Jenny's working hard and Ralph's working hard when he's at work, but not working hard at home. But one evening, one evening, Jenny arrived home from work to find the children bathed, one load of clothes in the washer, another in the dryer, dinner on the stove. The table was set. She was astonished. She knew something had to be up. I mean, what's going on? Turns out that Ralph had listened to Dr. Phil. That wives who work full time and had to do all their own housework were too tired to have sex. That night went well. And the next day, she kind of told her friends about it at the office. Man, we had a great dinner. Ralph even cleaned up. He helped the kids do their homework. He folded all the laundry, put everything away. Man, I enjoyed the evening. They said, well, what about afterwards? She said, well, that was a little disappointing. He fell asleep watching TV. <laughs> According to Newsweek, today's parents put in more hours on the job than ever before. Both parents, men and women, Working 60, 70 hours a week, 8 to 10 hours a day. And when they come home, they're tired. And they're so tempted just to buy some peace in the family by saying, yes. Yes, you can drink Drano. Yes, you can play in the streets. I mean, just yes. It's so much easier just to order a pizza and turn TV on and call it a night. Forget about homework. We're just tired. You see, it takes enormous expenditure of energy to set and enforce the rules, regardless to the age of your children. Now, in my house, we had limits in love and, and, uh, and my kids, and as they got older, you know, um, into uh, uh, high school and college, um, one of the rules we had in our house, you had to do two hours of yard work every week. 
I figured if you get to eat there, sleep there, you can do some of the work around here. So every Saturday, you know, we all get out. We lived up in Egret Landing on this corner lot, all kinds of trees, and we do two hours of yard work, and we get out there and work hard, you know, and they would complain all the time, and I used to get so tired of them complaining. I just want, I'd have a stressful week. I just wanted to sell the house and move into a condo on the beach without the kids, you know. <laughs> and I remember so distinctly thinking, you know, every once in a while, I'd kind of feel soft and get tired of the whining and complaining. I said, you know, let's just take a Saturday off, and I became like the hero. And then you think, well, if you just took a Saturday off, now next Saturday, man, they'll be refreshed. They'll be re-energized. The next Saturday come, guess what? They just want that one off too. You know, I discovered that they are narcissistic little sinners like their mother and father and father. Narcissistic little sinners. I mean, they are. And I had to learn to manage my own energy level. You know, I had to learn to say, to say no to business opportunities, to teaching opportunities outside of the area in order that I could say no to my kids. And if I said yes to everything, I came home and I was just too tired to say no. And dads and moms, sometimes we got to say no to opportunities. We got to say no to, to promotions because families run deep. They run real deep. It's hard to tell your kids no. It's much easier just to say yes. And you see, that's exactly what David did. Remember who David was? He was the guy that killed Goliath, that little shepherd boy, you know, that was a poet, a singer, songwriter. I mean, he became an incredible military political leader. He was a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart. But he was a bad father. And he paid for it his entire life. First Kings chapter 1, verse 6, kind of the writer there, it kind of makes a little editorial comment here about David's fathering techniques. And it says this, his father, and he's talking about Adonijah, which was the second oldest son of David. His father had never, referring to David, had never tried to stop him from doing whatever he wanted to do. In other words, David was so busy being the king that he didn't have time to say no to his sons. His father had never asked him, why are you acting the way you do? And Adonijah was very handsome. That probably added to it. He was spoiled rotten. Now Absalom was dead. You remember how Absalom died, the oldest son? He rebelled against his father, tried to take his dad's kingdom. And now Adonijah comes, and he does the exact same thing. David's heart was torn out that his own boys didn't respect him, and they tried to kill him to take his kingdom because David didn't tell his boys no. There were no limits. And he didn't enforce those limits. You see, children come to respect you. Children come to honor you. Yeah, you can't demand respect. I believe that. But you certainly don't allow disrespect. And if I could do one thing over, that's one thing I would do. Over. I would never tolerate my boys. Never had a problem with my daughter. Never would tolerate my boys being disrespectful to my wife. You don't demand respect, but you do not tolerate disrespect. And, you know, we get a chance, Dan and I, to vacation, spend some time with some families. And I'm telling you, with grandparents, those that 
parented well, those that loved well and set limits, those kids, those grandkids, they love and they respect mom and dad. And those that didn't parent well and they were busy just making a name for themselves or whatever the situation was, they're suffering a boatload of pain. Love and limits. Love and limits. I can't stress enough that we've got to win the limit contest. Our no means to mean no, and our yes means yes. And without getting angry, I don't believe in ever disciplining your children when you're angry. Without saying to ourselves, I just can't deal with this anymore. Because that's what happens. We try, we try to say no, we try to enforce it. And then we just get so frustrated that we just shut down and we don't even realize it. We just disengage from being a parent. And that's the worst thing we can do. We've got to engage. And we've got to engage every day of their life. Every day they're asking those two questions. And every day we've got to engage and teach them that there are choices to make. And with every choice son, with every choice daughter, there are consequences. And someday you will pay the consequences. The piper will be paid when you make bad choices. Our kids need to learn love and limits. They need to hear the rules over and over again. So why are we losing courage and caving in on the limit side? Because we're tired. Number two is this. Emotional neediness. You see, deep in heart, deep within the heart of every loving parent is this looming fear that if we set and enforce the rules, our kids might reject us. Often we kind of feel guilty. Maybe we're gone a lot or we're working a lot of hours. And we desperately want our kids to love us back. So we cave in on the limit side because of our own emotional neediness. And when our kids figure out that we need their love that we can't emotionally manage their rejection, they will play us like a violin. They're smart little creatures. And they'll play you. Marcia Maritz, a family system expert, uh, she warns parents, she said this, parents, stop trying to be your kid's best friend. Rather be what their kids need most in their growing up years. Be a love-giving Limit-setting parent. Let the kids make friends with other kids their own age. You step up and parent. And part of being a parent is being unpopular. It's being strong enough to absorb their disapproval, their anger. And think about it. Isn't that the way God loves us? I mean, God is the perfect parent. And yes, God is our friend, but he is first and foremost, he is God, and he is sovereign. And we bow to his authority or we pay the consequences. And God has this irrational love for every person in this room. I mean, it's so irrational that he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us. And regardless to our sin, regardless to our choices, regardless to the bad junk we get ourselves in, God still loves us. And we should never stop loving our kids regardless to choices they make, regardless to what they do. God never stops loving us and we should never stop loving them. 
But God doesn't want us to destroy our lives. So God has set up some limits. He has some rules to live by. And when we live by those rules, life works. Rules like don't steal, don't commit adultery, keep the Sabbath day holy by coming to church regularly, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Life works better when we submit ourselves and get our will in alignment with God's boundaries, when we learn in life that there are consequences to wrong choices. Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews says, um, or the writer to Hebrews says, our fathers, talking about our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a while as they thought best. I think that's a great verse to remember because often our parents, you know, they did as they thought best. They tried hard. Maybe they tried hard in a bad way, but they probably did as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our, what's the word? Good. For our good. It's not about them. It's not about him. It's about him helping us. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, of right living and peace for those who've been trained by it. God disciplines us for our good. We need to discipline our children for their good. As hard and as difficult and as draining as it is, we must discipline our children for their good. And if we want to get to yes in our homes, we need a healthy dose of irrational love and we need to enforce the rules, the limits. Can we bow our heads in prayer? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, can each of you right now just, just take a minute or two and just thank God for being a loving father, a loving parent to you?